Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram. This episode being recorded on a relatively chilly, wet, damp, gray Monday here in September. Uh, It's the last day of September here, so fall is kind of well on its way. And I'm sitting here all injured up uh, recording this episode. I had just a, uh, actually a, a really awesome weekend. Uh, we helped Jess uh, move in uh, this week, as well as I had a uh, ball hockey tournament this weekend. Now, I haven't played uh, ball hockey at any kind of degree of competitive level for what must now be almost 10 years. And imagine that. So it was funny because as I was being intru- when I was introducing myself and getting to know the people I was playing with, uh, none of which I can remember playing with before, um, it was kind of an interesting thing because they kind of looked at me and they were like, how long, like, some guy asked me, he's like, how old are you? And, uh, which was a nice compliment, of course, and we can thank, uh, having a proper skincare regimen and routine, and, you know, just, um, I, I, I find that, right, is that, you know, if you take care of yourself, um, you know, you reap the rewards, and so, anyway, it was kind of an interesting thing to say, yeah, when I played years ago at this league or that league, uh, it was years ago, and now that I think about it, it was almost a decade ago. So if that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what does. Uh, but the uh, the pain and injuries uh, from yesterday, uh, boy, has that made me feel old. So uh, uh, my buddy Nick was playing uh, in the tournament yesterday. So it was a draft-style three-on-three co-ed tournament. Uh, a ton of fun, very high pace. I would definitely do it again. Uh, it's an absolute blast out there, um, and it was nice to just get back in there. And I mean, it's kind of a great way to get back into ball hockey, right? Because you're playing, you're fast-paced, uh, high action. Uh, so it was, it was a really fun time, really good. And uh, nonetheless, yeah, it was draft style. So we were on the same team, but we both participated in the tournament. His team actually went on to win gold. Uh, so good for Nick. Uh, we were uh, eliminated in the first round of playoffs in overtime. Uh, so nonetheless. And that was a good time by all, but I ended up developing uh, these two nasty blisters uh, that basically took up the tops of my feet on both foot uh, on both feet and uh, on my left foot last night. It actually uh, not only did I have these massive blisters, but uh, I think they both popped because of how big they were. But the one on my left foot actually ripped right open uh, so much so it actually like hurt showering yesterday. It was ridiculous. So. A lot of pain last night, uh, quite a bit of pain today, so trying to heal up, get back into the gym, get back into game shape. Uh, we talked about that too, is that idea of game shape, and uh, it was funny because I was huffing and puffing through the first game, but then once you kind of get your pacing and whatnot, you find that your conditioning, even though you've already had a game, gets a little better, right? So getting into that game shape is very important, uh, it's a great way to be thrust right into that action, but so... Very happy with that, uh, but nonetheless, uh, where every single muscle in my body hurts. I probably weighed about 10 pounds less this morning after all of that yesterday. Uh, but great structured tournament, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, so I, I definitely do it again. I, rec- I recommend people check it out. Uh, it was the World Domination uh, Ball Hockey Tournament 
uh, held here at Winnipeg Ball Hockey, I think is the league that runs it. But very well done. A lot of um, fun yesterday. I know Nick had a good time. I had a good time. I think we were both um, probably feeling the pain today. So then like, Jess came out and watched for a little bit. She had a friend come out. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, you, you saw a lot of people had their spouses and partners there. So that was really nice. It was, it was just a good time, I think. Great way to spend a Sunday. And it's funny. We all talked about it. We kind of joked. Well, not joke, but we did say how it would be nice to have a tournament like this over a full weekend. And whilst it sounds good in theory, and for certain positions, yes. Like, I remember when I was younger, I played ball. I played uh, both forward and I played goalie. Uh, actually, I got into playing competitive ball hockey. was actually in net. Then I went out and played forward. And for me, the big thing was, yeah, as a goalie, you know, you're, you're running around less. Like, I mean, you're still managing your crease and, and tending goal and stuff. But it is significantly uh, more advantageous if, yeah, you could spread the tournament over two games. As a player, you know, forward or defense, uh, and three-on-three, three, you're playing kind of both. It's, uh, it's one of those things where you think it sounds nice in theory to have it over two days. However, what ends up happening is you still have all the wear and tear on your body through day one. You think, oh, yeah, you can spread over two days. That's not the case. By that second day, your body is just toast. So for me, and I, and I said, and I think pretty much, everybody I talked about this would agree is that you kind of do need to do it in one day because you need the recovery afterwards. I think for us, we ended up playing like four or five games. Um, and if you went on to win it all, you could have arguably been playing seven games. I think it would have worked out to being uh, was the most number of games you could have played in a day. That's a lot of ball hockey, especially at that pace. Uh, so, uh, you kind of do need to get it over with in one day. Uh, otherwise, you're just not going to be able to make it back. And I said that that's kind of the big thing is, yeah, we'd all say, oh, yeah, we'd love to. Three quarters of the people aren't going to come back. You're just too banged up. So that it, it is what it is. It was tough, uh, but we got through it. A lot of fun was had. As I said, it was a really great uh, step back into playing ball hockey for me. So I really, really did enjoy that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and as I said, um, Really well done, well structured, uh, well organized, and even the people there are great people, great group of people to play with. So it was just a lot of fun. And uh, but yes, I am feeling the pains today. So figured let's get some podcasting done. So yeah, that's that. And uh, yeah, no. So we've already signed up, uh, Nick and I, for the Winter uh, Ball Hockey League. I think that'll be nice and fun. Uh, we signed up for the recreational division. You need to get your, you need to get back into it. And as I was quickly reminded yesterday, I'm not, uh, you know, 18, 19 anymore. Uh, so actually, when I first started playing ball hockey, I would have been and competitively like in leagues, maybe 15, I think I was, 15 or 16. So yeah, I'm double that now. But uh, it was actually kind of a neat thing too, right? So once you're 16, and you know do anything you're invincible it's actually funny how almost better prepared i feel and felt yesterday just in terms of that acquired knowledge of years of having played ball hockey watched ball hockey you know played recreationally here and there you know you play some shit you know some street hockey with your friends and whatnot you're not running or taking it too seriously but you know he's still playing and just how you understand positioning where to be and having played at a high level in the past, uh, ice hockey, ball hockey, all of it, uh, 
you just have that kind of muscle memory and game memory, uh, for lack of better terms, about playing. You know, you know where to be. And I mean, three on three, I think this is probably the first time I played a three on three tournament, uh, especially at that pace. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty tough. And uh, it was still fun, though. But, you know, just knowing where to go, right? And, I mean, there was a couple of times I made some plays and whatnot, and then and the ref looked at me, he's like, you made the right play there. And uh, so it was nice to know that I still kind of had it, right? And uh, there is an adjustment period, I think, by the time, you know, Winter League is fully going. Uh, and I think it's a three-on-three Winter League as well. So it'll be fun, too, uh, to get back in the pace of it and then, you know, maybe by ne- by the spring or late winter, get into a more competitive uh, ball hockey uh, regimen again. Uh, it's a sport I love. Uh, very passionate hockey of all types, but really got into ball hockey when I was younger and and as I got older. It just it, it's something. And I, I mean, growing up um, as kind of an only child, so to speak, it's uh, it was something I could do. I could play in my basement, play on the you know on the driveway by myself. I go. Uh, uh, we lived in this condo complex, uh, my mother and I, and I would always be out there just, you know, working on my stick handling, you know, shooting against the dumpsters. I mean, I feel bad now for our neighbors. So I'd only do it in the day and never do it too late. But yeah, day after day, just sitting there working on my uh, stick handling, uh, shooting at the dumpster, practicing, getting passes, you know, passing back, and you know, against the dumpster. All those little drills you kind of do by yourself to get better doing that. And uh, so, yeah, looking back, can get back into that, whether it be recreationally playing myself. Uh, ball hockey's grown a lot, too, over the years. So uh, who knows, maybe there's uh, the potential there to get back and kind of give back a little bit, maybe get more involved in the coaching side uh, at the provincial level or even hopefully one day maybe maybe even the national level and maybe ball hockey becomes an Olympic sport, right? Either participate, play or coach, uh, something there. Uh, and I, fi- I found myself yesterday kind of doing that a little bit, too, with my teammates. And it was weird, too, joining the sport and especially being the new person in the circle, but not being the youngest one there uh, was a new dynamic as well for me. So all of these things kind of factored in and played, and it was a, it was a great experience. And it's a, it's a different thing, right? It's, I found it to be incredibly different because your, your offering's a little different, right? Now I have so much knowledge about the sport and how to play and how to excel and how to be good at it. Uh, versus when I was younger, you're just super athletic and, you know, good hockey player. So it's just different things. But, yeah, you know, looking to get more involved. Uh, and as I said, you know, coaching, you know, that kind of strategy, knowing where to position, you know, helping uh, each other. And that's the thing, too. And sometimes you have to be careful, too, to not step on too many toes, right, and, be you know, start forcing your way of play on everyone else. So there's a delicate balance there. But nonetheless, a lot of fun, <clears throat> great way to spend a Sunday, uh, so that worked out well, especially, I mean, now that it's fall, uh, it was cold and damp and miserable yesterday. It was pretty much cold and damp all weekend. Uh, Saturday was uh, considerably nicer, so it was a great day to move Jess. Uh, but Sunday was awful. Uh, but, yeah, it was a full day. Like I got up at 8 in the morning and wasn't done till around 4 and had to be there right away and didn't end up leaving until about 4.30. So it was, a, it was a full day, but nonetheless, a lot of fun. And that kind of segues perfectly into what I wanted to talk about today, which is hockey. Uh, preseason, I think, is pretty much wrapped up now. Uh, I think last night was the last night of preseason. Uh, Jets went 3-3-1. Uh, three, three and one. I mean, <clears throat> preseason, where you re- finish one, has no bearing, really, on anything. 
Uh, I think that's the biggest thing to remember. It's not like, oh, hey, you're the number one seed going to the regular season. No. All teams start off even. They all start off with a, with a clean record. Uh, but it's interesting watching some of the line combos. Uh, now with the restricted free agents, which was the big story kind of all summer. Uh, and this is one of the, was an interesting time in the NHL. Uh, and we've talked about that here on the Seems Legit podcast is a little bit how this was a season where kind of dictated or an off season dictated by the restricted free agents. Uh, you had a hot, um, a huge class and a very talented class of restricted free agents this year. Uh, dictating the terms and dictating the way things went. So we'll talk about that today and uh, kind of the scoping of where, um, how some of these deals came to be, where they fit amongst each other and other players in the league. Um, looking back at, you know, some of the deals that other uh, big-name restricted free agents had signed in the past. But nonetheless, it would appear that pretty much all of the big ones are signed now. Uh, teams have trimmed their rosters. Um, this is a tough time of year, too. I mean, for the players that don't make the teams, this is a very, very, very uh, difficult time. Uh, and, and primarily because of that idea and concept of just, you know, you, you bust your ass, you train hard, you, you know, you show up to camp, and you came oh so fucking close. You know, oh so fucking close to making the team. It's tough, and I get that, and I do sympathize with a lot of these players. It's not easy. I don't envy any of that at all. Um, you know, and uh, for all the players that didn't make the team that thought they would and whatnot, there's different reasons why players don't make the team, right? Sometimes it can be just developmental. They're not quite there yet. Uh, and there's players that get sent down who are going to be there next year or might get called up midway through the season. Kyle Connor was a great example of that. Now he's one of the best Jet players. He had been sent down. Uh, Christian Veselainen, uh, also Jet player. I don't know if he's gotten sent down this year or if he'll be up with the main team. Uh, regardless, uh, with the, um, actually we can look that up as I speak, but <clears throat> with Veselainen, it was the same thing. He was a highly touted draft pick, highly touted prospect, and didn't make the team his first uh, time around. It happened. Uh, regardless of that, I don't think uh, those are the players that don't necessarily have to be as this, uh, as discouraged. There's other players though where you know you kind of over the few years, or over your years playing at the pro level or at that highest level, yeah, you've spent some time down the AHL, and and there are players that become career AHL players, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't want there to uh, players feel like that there's anything wrong with that or listeners to feel like, oh, no, let's shame them for not making the big team. No, it happens. It's part of the process. Uh, but regardless, uh, people, some people have to go down. Some people get to stay up. Uh, it's just understanding that. It's, it's, I think for those players that were in the cusp or in the pipeline to get up to the big team and that still haven't really gotten that shot, that's when it can get a little frustrating. And that's when you kind of have to start looking in the mirror and being like, hey, you know what? I am not getting any younger. Maybe this really is. Um, this is where it, it goes for me. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, there are players that play well into their 30s that have great AHL careers that make decent money. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but <clears throat> at the end of the day, it is what it is. And uh, 
we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, a good example, uh, using a local one of, uh, you know, our, of our beloved Jets and Manitoba Moose, Air Comrie, right? Uh, there's, there has been an issue there with the Winnipeg Nets, uh, kind of that log jam uh, in terms of goalies. Uh, Comrie and Hellebuck kind of gotten started a little bit around the same time, and then all of a sudden, it was just like, oh, wait a second. Now, Hellebuck was, was always that step ahead. I think it was projected and kind of known. Uh, once they started playing, especially at the HL level and showed up at that level, Hellebuck was going to be the guy. Uh, he took a little bit longer with his development than I think some had expected, but nonetheless, uh, finally got there, got his chance to be in the show, and now he is the guy in Winnipeg. Comrie, on the other hand, whilst they were the tandem with the Moose, hasn't gotten that same chance to get up there and be part of the tandem with the Jets. And yeah, that can play a factor. That can be a little bit discouraging. That can be a lot of things. But... It is what it is, and, you know, Comrie's come a long way. He got to play some preseason games. He usually is a late-season call-up. He is probably the first one on the call-up list uh, for the Jets in, in terms of net. But now the interesting thing is that Comrie's getting pushed by the other guy who's there, too, and who might be a little bit younger, in Mikhail Burden, uh, or Burdine. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, uh, you know, so... For simplicity, I'm going to pronounce it Burden, but I'm not sure. It could be pronounced Burdine, but Mikhail Burden uh, is an incredible uh, puck handling goalie. Uh, great puck handling skills, uh, which is a huge asset in this league, and incredibly athletic. Uh, not to toot my own horn here, but uh, reminds me of a young Sonny D. But uh, regardless, uh, yeah. Uh, tremendous goalie, and I've said this before, it's going to be interesting to see um, where that fits in now. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, because um, Berdine did push Comrie, and while they gave Comrie all the end-of-year awards for the Moose, you know, now look at any player, best this, best that, I don't know how much longer Berdine's going to sit there and want to be a backup. Like, that's going to be the interesting thing. Um, I did find this excellent uh, website here uh, today that allows me to see all the contracts and whatnot. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what they signed for. We'll use the Winnipeg Jets as an example. Uh, they've kind of written down the line combinations, I think, probably based on what they kind of saw through uh, the preseason. Of course, those lines are going to change. Kyle Connor's not playing on the third line. Uh, he's not making seven and changed and playing on the third line. No, Kyle Connor's going up to that top line. Uh, I don't know why they don't have Brian Little here. Maybe Brian Little's injured. I don't know, but let's see which Bork this is that they have on the fourth line. Gabriel Bork. Wow. All right. Anyway, uh, regardless, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, so that's where you have this thing. So, yeah, it, it is a tough time of year for those players that didn't make the team. But regardless, uh, with our Jets, for instance, there were some openings. Uh, to be had uh, with some players leaving. Uh, the Dustin Bufflin uncertainty. Uh, is he going to come back? Is he going to call it a career? Whatever it might be. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, ah, here we go. Injury report. Uh, all right. Shifley is expected to suit up against the Rangers on Thursday despite a tight back. Okay. Uh, Brian Little is nursing an upper body injury, and it remains to be seen if he will be on the ice Thursday. Um, and they put him questionable for Thursday. 
Morrissey's dealing with tightness to an unlisted area, but he's likely to play on Thursday. Sammy Niku has a groin injury, and it's unclear if he'll be ready for the season opener against the Rangers. So questionable. So as such, they I think that's why the lineup looks the way it does, uh, with Little and Niku out of it. But nonetheless, let's get into it uh, and talk about these uh, restricted free agents, uh, how they signed, how the deals came to be, what the implications can be for their various teams. It's just it's really interesting to see a situation here uh, again where you had so many high-profile and important uh, restricted agents to their respective teams uh, go late into the summer. I mean, Connor and Line, for instance, only signed recently, uh, but everybody kind of fell into place where they were going to fall, in my opinion. Uh, but regardless, let's get into it. So the big ones going into this year would have been Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine uh, for the Jets. We had Matthew Kachuk over in uh, Calgary. We had Brock Besser in Vancouver, Braden Point in Tampa Bay, Mitch Marner in Toronto, uh, Nico Rantanen or Nico Rantanen uh, in Colorado uh, were the big ones. Uh, I believe now I have to think about it, but Marner was probably was the, I think the first chip to fall. Now, Marner, uh, the, the thing with this, when you look at teams, is that window of opportunity, that window to win, that window when you're going to keep essentially what you've deemed to be your core together to try and win cups. Uh, the Jets are in an interesting position because many feel, myself included, that we might be in a situation where they've taken a step back or two. Uh, it and it'll be interesting to see how this season and the next season play out in terms of was that Western final run a bit of an overachievement or was it kind of where things were supposed to fall? I don't know. They were expected to do quite well uh, last season. As a matter of fact, they were going into those last few weeks of the season completely in control of their own destiny. Uh, everything has shaped up differently. Uh, as they were the uh, they were leading the Central Division, and then they infamously collapsed, and then bowed out in the first round to the eventual Stanley Cup winning St. Louis Blues. Uh, but uh, thank, in a way, I'm thankful that they did get. Actually, I am very thankful. In a way, I just am thankful that they did get Line and Connor in uh, and before the start of the season. As I've said, it's very important, especially for Patrick Line, who only signed a two-year deal. Uh, to get in there. Uh, he's a guy that scores in bunches, and last year came off of his worst year production-wise. So he's looking to rebound, and signing his two-year deal is kind of making a bet on himself. I think, had he had, pardon me, another 40-goal season, it's tough to not imagine he's making closer to 7 or $8 million, uh, or, you know, the number, the first number, the point, the, the number point something, that number was going to be in the 7 to 8 range. Um, by not getting there, and essentially most of his goal, you know, 18 of his 30 goals or whatever it was he scored last year, came in one month. Yeah, it's a little tough uh, to start to manage that. But yeah, did his value take a little bit of a hit? Yes. And I think he kind of knew that. If he was going to sign a longer-term deal, it was good. He was going to have to take a shave a little bit off, and probably would have ended up in and around the same number. I think maybe the Jets might have paid a premium based on his past performance and to incentivize him a little bit. But he came in on a 13.5 over two years, so an annual average hit of $6.75 million, 
which is ironically enough the exact same cap hit of Braden Point over in Tampa Bay, who was the leading point getter amongst that not class, uh, I believe. I think he finished ahead of Marner last year. He also came in at 675. Interestingly enough, it kind of seems to be where they would fall respective to how their organizations work and are built. Many people thought Point might be asking Mitch Marner money. He might be wanting 10 point something or whatever it might be. But said, no, he came in. And I think it's a fair valuation. It's tough on these younger guys that, you know, they play three, four, five, three or four seasons. Yeah, there comes a point when it's like, yes, this is what you'd be worth because you do need to prove yourself. And I think they're looking at what's the next step, right? What is the next step? And we'll look at some of the other examples of players and what that next step might look like in terms of the deal they're going to fish. I know Wine was hoping to get in that eight or nine. He's, he wasn't going to get it after coming off a disappointing season. But by taking the two-year deal, I think for him, yes, he looks at that and he can say, all right, am I signing another bridge deal again? If so, it's at a seven or eight point something valuation if he has a couple of 40 goal seasons. If he's coming off and having two more 30 you know, goal seasons, two more disappointing seasons where essentially all of his production occurs in such a short period of time, I think that 675 might be coming down or we see a potential trade opportunity. Connor came in, interestingly enough, at a longer-term deal. Uh, and, I had, and I've said Connor, to my, in my opinion, as of today, on an average annual value and what they're worth to the team, I do firmly believe Kyle Connor is worth a little more uh, to the Jets. Actually, I think he, he might be worth considerably more to the Jets than Patrick Lina. He can do more. He's a better skater. He's effective with and without the puck. Uh, he plays on the top line. Uh, and as such, he's happy at the valuation he's getting. He got uh, 50 over 7, so an annual average hit of uh, 714, 715 in that range, um, which I think when Line A signed, Connor and his agent probably told the team, all right, my number has this. When they saw Line A at 675, they said, yeah, our number on average annual basis starts at a, with a 7. It's a 7 at the, at the beginning of that. And I think that's a very fair number. I think Kyle Connor wants to play with the Jets. He wants to play with Shifley. Shifley and Wheeler are going to be here for a while. Uh, they've kind of built that team around the two of them, especially Shife. So it'll be, uh, as Wheeler, I think, is getting up there a little bit in age. Wheeler might be in his 30s by now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Blake Wheeler's 33. He's in year one of his, contra of his uh, contract. Um, yeah, he's making 8-2, 8-2-5. So, yeah, when he comes out, he'll be out of that at 37 years old. He might either be contemplating retirement or he's going to take, take the pay cut to stay, maybe stay with the Jets. As such, um, and he is the team captain, but maybe at that point that's when you're looking to hand the captaincy over to Shifley. And I think that's kind of the transition they're looking at. Shifley is the next in line to be captain. Uh, there again, that's where some money frees up for the likes of a, uh, of a Kyle Connor, of the Patrick Lyonnais of the world. Uh, Shifley, let's just take a look at it here. I can't imagine he's older than 25, uh, but we're going to see right now. Uh, age 26, I was wrong. So yeah, so by the time, and he's in year four of an eight-year deal. So yeah, they all kind of fit in, and they've brought them in to try and keep them in around that same uh, spot. Both both uh, Shifley and Wheeler were first-round uh, picks. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see himself. As with Line A, Line A was famously a second overall pick. 
Uh, and of the modern Jets, that would have been their highest uh, overall pick that they would have gotten. Kyle Connor, first-round pick, uh, 17th overall in his draft year. So the Jets are, you know, they're drafting well. You know, they're, they're, those top draft picks they're getting are playing out. So it'll be interesting to see now with the Jets. I think there is some move. There are some moves that could be made. Uh, I've said I said it last year. And I'm going to say it again. I could see Brian Little on the move. I think there are some packages to be made with a Brian Little and an Eric Comrie to bring in a high level player that could instantly change the Jets' uh, chances. Uh, again, it, it does pay, play out how uh, what happens with Dustin Bufflin. The other one, though, that's going to be interesting is going to be... Uh, so Mitch Marner came in and signed with the Leafs. I think he probably... His starting point was the Matthews number. Now, Matthews, during the season last year, signed a uh, a, a, a deal with an... I think it was a five-year deal. Yeah. So it would have been five years. So 58.17 over five years, giving him an annual hit of 11.63. Austin Matthews is arguably the best player on the Leafs. He is now the new face of that franchise. Uh, he's gotten into a little off-ice trouble this offseason, uh, but we'll talk about that maybe in another episode. Um, it's been discussed everywhere, so I don't even know if we need to harp on it again. Many people think he might be the captain, might be named the captain. I think that captaincy announcement is going to happen any day now. I'd be shocked if it doesn't. Uh, but nonetheless, Matthews coming in 11-6. Uh, Tavares signed in the offseason, uh, last offseason, uh, at 11 for seven years. Um, what else? So, Marner came in at six. So, on a, on a length of term, he came in right between the two. And, but is actually the, the one who got paid. So, he's still almost at 11. He's at 1089, which I think is a very fair number. Uh, and compared to the other rate, I mean, he got the biggest payday. Uh, many people felt maybe Ranson should have been up there as well. Uh, regardless, uh, Marner got paid the most. And there's been a lot of discussion about that. You know, has Toronto overpaid for their stars? I don't know. I think it's hard to say that. Uh, when Austin Matthews, arguably over the length of his contract and the length of their respective contracts, is probably going to be the second best or best player in the league right up there with Connor McDavid. Uh, so when you look at that kind of comparison, and Connor McDavid is now kind of being universally and widely accepted as the best player in the league, yeah, I think, you know, McDavid does get some special treatment and is, I think, the highest paid player at 12 and a half. It's hard to justify a player making more than McDavid, and that's maybe why he only signed the eight-year uh, extension, uh, back in 2017, so he's already a couple of years into that. But at the time of renegotiation, yeah, he'll be in his 20s, and arguably so, he'll be the highest paid player again. Him and Matthews will come out uh, in that time period, probably around the same time. So that's that's going to be an interesting situation as well. Uh, regardless, yeah, that's where they fit in. Marner is a winger, uh, and, and yeah, there is something to be said for dynamic winger, wingers. Look at Alex Ovechkin. Ovechkin has arguably been, well, he has been the most prolific goal scorer of his generation. And uh, when you look at it in, in the lowest scoring gener era in hockey, you might say era for era is the most prolific goal scorer of all time. Uh, eight league goal scoring titles is a, is a record. 
Uh, I believe, I don't even think uh, Gretzky did that, but regardless, and maybe Gretzky did, but uh, Ovechkin's never failed to get to 30 goals. All of these things, when you look at it, he has a shot, a legitimate shot at getting to Gretzky's uh, career numbers. So we'll see how that all plays out. With that being said, you do have an interesting situation, though, uh, with um, Marner, because Jeff O'Neill said it best on TSN when he said, look, at the end of the day for the Leafs, if they get it done and they win a cup, it's not going to matter how much they pay these guys. If they get two cups, then fuck yeah. It really doesn't matter. Um, and they're in a great position to, I mean, are they going to make some moves? Of course they're going to have to make some moves. But we'll see uh, what happens. But uh, it, it would appear that Marner's the big winner. And Toronto is kind of, exists really in its own little universe of hockey, right? You can't use them as the model. And as I've said, every player has kind of an overall market rate for what they bring to the table. They either get paid a premium or they take a cut depending on where they're going to take their services. That's something that you have to remember and consider. Does a player like Mitch, you know, so if Mitch Marner has a certain value, yes, he might get that premium to be playing in Toronto versus, yeah, and maybe he would have said, you know, when he becomes an unrestricted free agent, you know, does he demand a premium, for instance, to play in a place like Columbus? Possibly. Does he take less maybe at that point? Toronto's won a cup or two, possibly as well. And you're seeing a lot of these players, and the interesting thing, and this has been the rhetoric that's been used um, uh, kind of by the media a lot, and I, and I do agree with it. This is what the first time now in a while or of this generation or of this era, this kind of lock, this um, salary cap era, where players are wanting to get paid before really and truly producing. Uh, and they use the example, you know, of Kane, of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in, um, in Chicago. They look at, you know, Kopitar and Dowdy in L.A. These guys were produced, they, you know, they were cups deep. They were winning cups before they were getting those huge monstrous paydays. Now, of course, some of these teams are in some salary cap issues. Uh, let's take a look here at Chicago, for instance. Uh, and Chicago's an interesting where they constantly had to rebuild. I mean, it would be hard for me to imagine Chicago truly has another Caparati in them. But, uh, you know, when two, I mean, when you look at their top line, uh, their top line is making this year or has an average annual hit this year of almost $22 million. Uh, both Taves and Kane coming in at 10.5. Uh, you know, on the back end, you have Keith and Seabrook at 5.5 and 6.8. You know, and when you look at spreading the wealth on uh, up front there for Chicago of the roster that I'm seeing in front of me um, presented here, uh, and, and whether it be because of injuries or what, only one other player on the team, uh, or yeah, only one team, uh, one other player on this roster here. Oh no, sorry, there's two. Uh, yeah, there's only one other forward though. That eclipses uh, over five million. That's sod at six million. Uh, on the back end, uh, there's Seabrook at six eight, as I said. And in goal, they're paying a lot for their goaltending tandem. Uh, Robin Leonard cashed in big, uh, getting the five million um, this year. 
Uh, Corey Crawford's making six million on average annually. So again, we'll see. But it's amazing how these how in the cap era it happens. But a lot of these guys are getting the big paydays after showing something. You know, Ovechkin had won multiple scoring titles. You know, I think he's the fourth fastest player to 600 goals. And I mean, he signed a 13-year deal way back, and he was the face of that franchise. Uh, arguably scoring one of the, the nicest goals in NHL history in his rookie season, when you think about it. It is pretty incredible. This Now, all of a sudden, you have a, restri- a group of restricted free agents here this season in Connor Kachuk, Besser, Line, Point, Marner, Rantanen, um, have a combined zero Stanley Cups to their name. A combined zero. Uh, and when you look at that, I mean, just rounding, you have 9 plus 11, that's 20. Uh, you have the 675, let's round that up to, to 7, so you have 14. So 34, uh, 40 if you round Besser up. Uh, so 54 million on average handed out to those big uh, restricted free agents. That's a lot of money on an AAV basis handing out uh, to players that have zero cups between them. Uh, that's kind of always what was trying to be avoided, right? Is you have to prove your worth, right? Or you're in the face of the franchise. So some got pain of that. I mean, Marner is one of that core three up front for Toronto, and in turn, you know, you see some players go. I mean, look at the situation with William Nylander. I mean, does William Nylander get nearly seven, you know, seven million elsewhere? I don't think so. I really don't. I really do not think Nylander is getting seven million elsewhere. But guy said, hey, you know what? This is what it costs to get me. So or to keep me in Toronto, they felt it was worth it. He sat out. I mean, he sat out to the hard deadline and fucking got his payday. It'll be interesting to see now. I mean, you basically paid a guy an average hit of $7 million to have an off year last year. This year, fuck does he need to show up and perform? I think he will. I think he is a great player. I've had the chance to see him live uh, when he played for the Marlies. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, so, yes, I think playing on a line with Matthews, of course his production will go up. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so nonetheless... Overall, though, you saw uh, quite a few, t- you saw a few uh, three-year kind of bridge deals. Point, Besser, and Kachuk all signing three-year deals. Line A, if you can, so four in that two to three range uh, deal uh, signed for three or less. Uh, and all kind of incomparable values there. Um, Besser taking the least. Uh, line A and Point coming in the same. Kachuk at seven. Connor, I like that they took the, that they signed him for long term. I'm happy the Jets uh, saw that in them. I'm happy Con- they reached a number that they can both agree on. Uh, and then when you look at the longer term deals, uh, yeah, you have Rantanen and Marner who were on the upper end of that payday. Said, yeah, fuck it, you want to keep me around? Sure, but this is what's going to cost. And to their respective teams, I think so. Rantanen's a top line player. Colorado made huge strides last year. If they want to build on that momentum. Uh, keeping Ransom around was very important to that. Uh, and again, as I've said, Mitch Marner being that he is one of that core, you know, part of that core offensive group, uh, that the big four. When these guys come up for their next contract, that's going to be an interesting thing as well, in my opinion. Uh, because whether if they're going into restricted free agency again, are they going to ask? Are they going to want a similar kind of bridge deal, hoping to get paid, or? Is it going to be something where, again, you see a little bit of a drop, right? Where, yeah, 
you know, if Wine can't put up those numbers that he's betting on putting, you have some issues there. Um, but again, interesting. I think in Tampa Bay, they have a system. You look at St. Louis, you look at Boston, there's kind of this valuation, right, where they say, hey, this is what it, what it takes to be a Bruin, what it takes to be a Lightning, what it takes to be a St. Louis Blue. That in, I have a lot of respect for that. I really do. And, and, and it can be tough. It can be very tough to get players to buy into that system and that understanding. But again, as the player, you have to decide, is it, what, what are those variables that are the important thing to you? Is it um, that idea of, look, I just want to get paid. I don't know, you know, maybe I get a cup, maybe I don't. Uh, but again, we'll see. Uh, you have guys though, you, and so looking at, at, at the big winner in the unrestricted free agent category would have been Artemi Panarin. That guy got a huge payday. Uh, he took his services to uh, the Big Apple. He signed with the Rangers, an average annual hit of 11.64, so 81.5 over seven years, uh, which, I mean, he was kind of offensively the top regarded um, free agent, unrestricted free agent. It was kind of well known that uh, none of those guys were sticking around in Columbus. Uh, I had kind of been telling people, I had said this on the podcast, I felt like Columbus were the biggest losers of the trade deadline and of everything last year. I really do feel bad for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But it is what it is. They're going to be going into some uh, rebuilding. Uh, and, and maybe it does take some... Uh, some pressure off, you know, coaching staff, management. Management, I think, again, there's going to be some interest and there's going to be some questions to be answered there. Uh, but John Tortorella, I think, doesn't have as much pressure on him this season uh, because that team was basically collapsed. So we'll see how that plays out. But Panarin was the big winner, and he got in at that 11, at 11 uh, plus. And maybe that is kind of that new number, 11-ish million, because we have to wait and see where where the cap goes, right? And I've said this before on the podcast, I've said it at numerous, a number of places, there is that idea and concept of do you want to be the best player and be playing alone or do you take a little bit less, spread the wealth, and win championships? So that's something to think about. And especially now as, as, as maybe they do look at those next deals. Crosby is a bit of an anomaly uh, why, you know, arguably the best player of his generation. Um, he has a weird thing, though, where everything has to uh, come to 87. Um, now, I didn't realize this about, I knew he was born in 1987. I didn't realize his birthday was actually 87 as well. So he was born on August 7th, 1987. So I think it's probably a bit of a superstitious thing. Who knows? But nonetheless, his average annual hit is 87. And when I say average annual hit, these contracts are structured in ways to get paid more this year, last year, whatever it might be. But his average annual hit is 87. Uh, Ovechkin is in year 12 of 13 of his contract. He'll be 35 when it expires, so he'll probably sign you know, in for around the same amount. It'll be hard to imagine he doesn't. But he signed a $124 million 13-year deal, so he has an average annual hit of, 90, of 9.5, meaning on an average annual basis, yeah, he's making less than Taves and Kane. The difference might be, though, that, I mean, 
Kane and Taze, when they signed their deals, had three cups. Ovechkin didn't have a cup yet. He was just the face of a franchise. So we're going to see how this all plays out. And, uh, I mean, looking moving forward, again, is there more money to be p- passed around to a Mitch Marner? Where do you, you know, when Matthews and McDavid come to, I think that's going to set that next bar of that, that cap. That's going to be the ceiling, right? You're, if you're not the two best players, you're not getting paid two best player money, right? And so that'll be interesting to see. But nonetheless, we're getting into the regular season here. Seems like all the pieces are falling into place now for all the teams. So I, I'm happy to see that as well. I don't like seeing the holdouts. I don't think it benefits anybody. Um, yeah, you might get the money you want, but to lose that year of play or that period of play, I don't know in the long run where that fits in. But regardless, we'll see. Anyway, uh, I think uh, I've rambled on enough now about these free agents and about my ball hockey. So. My ball hockey season uh, is probably going to start in about a month, so that gives me a month to get into game into proper game shape. And having played yesterday and played in such an intensive, shortened kind of condensed way, kind of allowed me to see very quickly what game shape kind of has to look like. So those aspects of conditioning, um, physically, cardio-wise, I need to get to. Um, but as I was, I told Jess, and um, I think I even told Nick this. This is my first time going into a ball hockey kind of event and whatever. This was probably the physically the strongest I might have ever been going into it. And I felt it out there. I never, I didn't feel out of shape. It was just that getting into game shape and game pacing. So I'm excited now to do that. Um, I'm excited for the NHL season to start. We'll do another episode here talking about my predictions for the season. But just wanted to kind of recap and discuss the free agent situation and talk about me for a little bit. Anyway... Um, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude's ID. You can see a picture of that nasty split open blister, uh, on my Instagram. Once again, at the dude's ID, I thank you all so much for tuning in into this episode of the seems legit podcast. Take care and bye-bye for now.